please be seated. As you take your seat, you can open your copy of the Word of God with me to John's Gospel, chapter 14. We're going to look at John 14, verses 15 through 26 this morning as we consider the Holy Spirit, the promise of His coming, and some of the things that He would do as a result of ministering on behalf of the Gospel and on behalf of the disciples, and ultimately on behalf of the world. Jesus is about to depart to the Father by way of exaltation. That is, he will suffer death on the cross, and then resurrection from the grave, and then ascension back to the Father. And all of this will secure the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You remember in John 16, 7, Jesus said, Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. And so with Jesus' departure, there would be the inauguration of the Spirit and His ministry. Of course, the Spirit would be poured out on the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit, as Jesus teaches in John 20, verse 22, is nothing less than the life breath of the exalted Jesus who makes the victory of Jesus and all of his benefits available to the people of God throughout history. Next Sunday is what we call in Christian tradition Ascension Sunday, when the Lord Jesus would ascend back up to the Father. And the Sunday after that, the first Sunday in June, is Pentecost Sunday, where we will celebrate the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Christ's church. But this morning, I wanted to deliver a message uh, somewhat in preparation uh, for these two Sundays coming forth, especially Pentecost Sunday. And so I'd like us to consider uh, the Holy Spirit this morning. In fact, if I were to summarize this passage, it would be this. The Spirit of God comes to disclose the majesty of Christ to all of His disciples and the necessity of Christ to the world. I want you to notice three features of this passage this morning in connection with this thesis. Number one, Jesus gives the promise of the Holy Spirit in verses 15 through 18. And then secondly, Jesus speaks of the Spirit's disclosure of himself to his disciples. The Spirit's disclosure of Jesus to his disciples. And we see that in verses 19 through 21. And then finally, the Spirit's disclosure of Jesus to the world. And we see that in verses 22 through 26. So along with an outline of the message, join me in prayer. Let's ask God to illuminate our minds as we study the sacred scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Father, as we study about your good Holy Spirit, we pray that even now, thousands of years later, that same Spirit would bless this message to our ears and hearts and our minds. And so, Lord, help us. Come alongside. Be our helper as we seek to study your eternal and inerrant Word. Bless us, Lord. We'll give you praise for the outcome in all of our lives. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 
first of all, you'll notice the promise of the Holy Spirit in verse, verses 15 through 18. Jesus has been wrapping up some thoughts and words in chapter 14, answering questions, uh, telling him that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and uh, telling him, in essence, especially Philip, Lord, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we come to verse 15, and Jesus says something in the very first verse here that he's going to say three times throughout this passage. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus reminds his disciples that their love for him is shown in their obedience to him. A love for Christ, expressing itself in obedience, is the prerequisite to reception of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Well, because obedience to Christ demonstrates true saving faith. You can say you believe in Jesus Christ, but if you don't obey Him, if your life does not conform to His commandments, then you very well may question whether or not you truly believe. And you may wonder, is the Spirit of God in my life at all? Now, the Lord promised to send the Spirit. And we hear that in Acts chapter 4.32 about its connection to obedience. Peter said, and we are His witnesses, that is, witnesses of Christ, and of all these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Now, at a glance, that may seem like meritorious obedience, but it's not. It's simply belief. You remember another place in John when the people said, What shall we do to work the works of God? And Jesus said, Believe. Believe in Him who He has sent. That is the work of Almighty God. So these, this obedience is not in any way meritorious. No, God furnishes the ability to do what He commands. And thus the Holy Spirit will enable His disciples, Jesus' disciples, to obey the commands of Christ. And then in verse 16, Jesus will ask the Father to send another helper. It underscores what I just said. We need a helper. In our fallen nature, we have a new nature in Christ, but we still have that fallen nature. And we have to battle that nature throughout life. Paul speaks of this in Galatians chapter 5, about the flesh and the spirit, and the fact that they're at odds with each other. And so Jesus says, I'll send another helper. And the coming of the Helper, or the Counselor, will replace Jesus' physical presence. And the Counselor will do for the disciples after Jesus' departure what Jesus had done for them before His departure. And like Jesus, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, comforts and teaches the disciples. He proves the world wrong in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And He guides the disciples into truth and tells them about the things to come. I want you to notice a couple of things about the Holy Spirit or this helper. His technical name, first of all, is parakletos in the Greek. We would say paraclete. And the word simply means one who is called alongside to help. It also has a legal context in 1 John 2, 1. Where John says, I write these things that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. One who comes alongside to help and represent us. The word really is very flexible. Some translations, like the NIV, use the word counselor. Others, helper. The authorized version uses comforter. And the New English Bible uses advocate. The Holy Spirit is all of those things. That's what His name represents. 
Notice his duration. Jesus says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit forever. The gift of the Holy Spirit, once given, can never be taken away. This is so because the gift would be given not because of the piety of the disciples, but in answer to Jesus' prayer, to guide them into all truth and to sanctify them by the truth. And then notice his intimacy, the intimacy of the Spirit of God with the, the disciples. Look at verse 17 with me. He says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you will know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus gives a word of contrast between believers, his disciples in this case, and the world in terms of their reception and rejection of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit. While the world cannot see or know the Spirit, the Spirit will abide with and indwell the disciples and eventually all believers. The world is quite unaware of the Spirit's activities. Therefore, it does not know Him. Those who are of the world have no personal relations with the Holy Spirit. But it is not so with the disciples. They do know Him. In Jesus' words, He abides with you and will be in you. Demonstrate how intimate this connection is. They indicate a continuing reality. He will abide in you. And a future certainty. He will abide with you. He will not leave you. Then Jesus tops it all off in verse 18. Speaking of the Spirit's mediation of the actual presence of Christ. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What a beautiful picture. Jesus gives a final word of assurance to his disciples to stress the fact that he will not be leaving them as orphans. I'm going away, Jesus says to his disciples. I'm going to the cross. You will no longer see me physically until I'm resurrected for 40 days on the earth, and then you will not see me at all anymore. However, I am not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That is, the Spirit of God, His main duty would be to mediate the very presence of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. This interchangeability is not uncommon in the Bible. That's why we read Romans 8, 9-14. Did you notice how Paul uses these terms interchangeably? The Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of the One who raised Jesus. It is all interchangeable because we're talking about the Trinity. One God expressing Himself in three persons. And the third person, the Spirit, His main duty is to mediate the presence of Christ in your heart and life. To eliminate fear. To encourage righteousness and obedience to Christ's commands. And every one of us, if we believe in the Lord Jesus, has that deposit of the Spirit in our lives. Well, that is the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now notice in verses 19-21, through 21, the Spirit's disclosure of Jesus to His disciples. He says in verse 19, After a little while, the world will no longer see Me, but you will see Me. Because I live, you will live also. He's continuing where He left off in verse 18. 
Jesus goes on to outline that not only will he not leave them as orphans, he will disclose himself to a much greater degree through the abiding ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have to get straight, ladies and gentlemen. This is precisely why Jesus said in John 16, 7, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send them to you. Those who say, I believe, if only I could see Jesus, if I could have an actual physical encounter with Jesus, they're ignoring what the Bible has to say. Because God is pleased with faith. And the greatest way that we can interact with the Lord Jesus now is not with Him here physically, but spiritually by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit mediates His presence in our lives. What a magnificent reality. For some who do not walk with Christ because they seem like they've missed something because they don't see Jesus publicly and physically. No. The Bible says by faith you have to believe that He's there and that He's active and alive and the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you believe these things and the reality that Christ lives inside of you. First of all, a couple of things to notice. Jesus offers a contrast between physical and spiritual sight. Look at verse 19a. Jesus is speaking of life after his resurrection. You remember he appeared for 40 days. And he speaks of the world's continued blindness, spiritual blindness in contrast to the disciples' spiritual sight after his resurrection. After a little while, Jesus says in verse 19, you will no longer see me. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me. We might look at Jesus' words to his disciples in this way. Jesus always has a way of turning things upside down. But he might be saying, earlier the world saw me physically, but not spiritually. Now you will not see me physically as I go to be with the Father, but spiritually you will through the eyes of faith. I will be present with you. I will not leave you as orphans. And you will live because I live in verse 19b. They will identify with and participate in Jesus' resurrection. How? Because of the context of the Spirit of God. As I live, you will live also. And he goes on in verse 20. The Spirit will illuminate their minds concerning spiritual realities. Jesus says, In that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Two things they would understand. Number one, they would understand what they had not been able to comprehend previously in verses 7 to 11. And that is that Jesus and the Father are one. And to see Jesus is to see the Father. We need to get that in our heads. As we encounter Jesus, as we pray to the Lord Jesus, as the Spirit of God mediates His presence with us, we are as close to God as we could possibly be. Because God has come to us in the person and work of Christ. And now this illumination comes about as a result of the Spirit's ministry. And so the disciples wouldn't be so dull anymore. They'd start to get it. They would really understand all that Jesus had to say. A second thing, they would understand something new. With the coming of the Spirit, they would be in Christ. That is, union with Him. And Christ would be in them. 
concept of mutual indwelling is found in several places in the Gospel of John. While we know what it means that Christ would be dwelling inside of us, what does it mean for believers to dwell inside of Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. John will answer that in John chapter 15 when he talks about abiding in Christ. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so also you cannot bear fruit, Jesus says to his disciples, unless you abide in me, unless you press in to know me better. That's what the word abide means. It means to remain. I used to read that word and I thought of a, a hammock on a summer day with a glass of lemonade, just laying in that hammock, relaxing, abiding, you know? No, the Bible has a vigorous word for abiding. It is remaining in Him. It is a, a vigorous, energetic word to say, I will press in to know the Lord Jesus at all times. I will drink deeply of the water of life. When He says to me that my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, what He means by that is, more than food and drink physically, I need Him spiritually. I need to feast on Him all times. I need to trust Him and press Him to know Him better. And as I do that, He closes with me. You see, there's somewhat of a crescendo in this passage. Jesus said the Spirit will come, and now He says, He will disclose me to you. You want to know me better? You want to become more acquainted with me? The Spirit of God will bring that to pass, and He will do it for the disciples. And so we're called to press in to know the Lord Jesus, to remain in Him. And then notice in verse 21, Jesus returns to that common thread throughout this passage. But He says it in a somewhat different way. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. What a beautiful picture. Jesus said this in verse 15. It was kind of a brief statement. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But now he's unfolding something more intimate. Now he's showing the beauty of the Spirit's ministry. As the Spirit opens our eyes and the Lord Jesus becomes disclosed to us in a greater and higher degree. And that's what all of life is about, knowing him better. That's what Paul said in Philippians 3. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to the image of his death. I want an ever-growing, intimate relationship with Jesus. You'll notice he says, first, we become the objects of the Father's own love. And then second, we become the objects of Jesus' love and self-revelation. Love for Jesus does not end in a stoic obedience. Obedience is involved, but it leads to an experience of love of the Father and the Son and a revelation of the Son to the believer. You know, when you fall in love, you do things. Sometimes goofy things. You, know, you buy flowers in the middle of the night or something and take them to your beloved you take the extra time at lunch to go see her or him, wherever they might work. Love is an energetic thing, and it's always growing, or it should be. And that is especially true with the Lord Jesus. It doesn't become this stoic, move-through-the-motions type thing, or it shouldn't. No, Jesus said, if you love me, 
you'll obey my commands. And the further I go with you with the Holy Spirit, the more I will disclose to you, the more you will see the beauty and the majesty of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that what Revelation is all about? We look at the visions of Revelation and we see this grand description of the Christ, His white hair, His opening His mouth with a sharp double-edged sword coming out, riding on a white horse with His clothes dipped in blood. See, the Spirit of God unfolds those visions for us so that we might see in a clearer and clearer way who the Lord Jesus is while we live here on earth. Well, the Spirit discloses Himself, or Jesus, to the disciples. And notice, finally, the Spirit's disclosure of Jesus to the world. Look at verse 22. Judas asked what appears to be an unusual question. He said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Judas, this is Judas, another Judas, a disciple, not Iscariot, but he voices what must have been the perplexity of the whole band of disciples. He asked what has happened that Jesus will manifest himself to the disciples and not to the world. You see, the disciples at this point still don't think that Jesus is going to somehow become king with a lot of pomp and circumstance. That he's going to show more and more miracles. That it's going to be very public and very powerful and even military. That he'll wipe out Rome. Even Prior to Jesus' ascension, the disciples asked that, is that this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, don't worry about that. They still didn't know what the kingdom was all about. Like the Jews in general, they expected a Messiah to disclose or manifest himself in all of his glory before all of the people. The way he puts it seems to imply that he now thinks that something has happened. Something's gone wrong to disrupt Jesus' plan program. No, it was not his program all the time. Notice how Jesus responds in verse 23 to his question. Jesus' response is astonishing. The answer he gives in this single verse carries a dual meaning. Look at it carefully. First of all, Jesus gives a universal offer of salvation to the world. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There's that statement for the third time. If anyone now loves me, he will keep my word. Jesus spoke these words to the disciples individually in verse 15 and corporately in verse 21. And now the offer is made to anyone. And so no one is excluded in terms of of the offer of salvation. But there's a second application of this verse. And that is that Jesus not only gives them a universal offer of salvation, but Jesus will disclose this salvation, that is himself, to the world through his disciples. Notice verse 23 again. Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There's the invitation. And my Father will love him, and we will come and make our abode with him. These verses offer a blueprint for how Jesus will disclose himself to the world. In fact, he goes on in verse 24 to say, He who does not love me does not keep my word. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
Notice how he stresses more and more the Father. And then he wraps it all up with verse 25 and 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will teach them and bring to mind all that Christ has said in his commandments. And eventually they will be enabled to write sacred scripture. That's what Jesus is talking about there. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So in this passage, you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the summary would be, believers become temples of God, where the true triune God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit indwell them, equip them, and send them out into the world as witnesses for the gospel of God's grace. What a magnificent picture. Jesus said, Judas, you want to know how I'm going to do this? I'm going to fill you. You're going to have the Trinitarian God in your life. And when you go out, you will give an aroma of death or life. You, like Peter will said, will display the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You will go forth and show that your life has changed. You want to know how I manifest myself to the world? In my church. The church is the visible body of Christ. Therefore, all of her members make up the body of Christ on earth. I wish we could get that down. Then we'd recognize the importance of being together. The importance of worshiping together and learning together. See, Jesus never tried to satisfy the Jews as a Messiah by public, dramatic acts of power or military might by the swift destruction of the Romans. No. Jesus would manifest himself to the world by the supernatural, sovereign operations of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to anyone willing to bow the knee to him and to love him and obey him. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness of Jesus to the world. But this will not happen the way the disciples thought it would. Jesus said in John 16, 8, and he, the, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. John 15, 26. Jesus says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You know, it's so important for us to consider the Holy Spirit because He has been poured out. Do we believe it? Is He active in our lives? Are we growing toward holiness? Is there a desire to read His Word and to pray? To attend Bible studies and functions where we learn more of God's Word? Do we see a greater disclosure of the Lord Jesus we all need to ask ourselves that. Are we growing in terms of seeing His majesty and His glory? Are we growing in terms of relying upon His grace and power? I have to ask myself that every day. Like we read in Zechariah, where we saw this magnificent vision of the rebuilding of the temple. And the Lord came to him and said, after He showed him this grand display in heaven of all that He is and all that He's doing, 
not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The Spirit of God has been poured out. Is He in your heart and life? Do you see fruit of the Spirit? Are you growing in your awareness of knowing the Lord Jesus in all of His splendor more and more? And are you being a witness? Are you being a witness of the triune God who fills your life with His presence as a result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? May God give us grace to drink deeply of all that He has done, to mediate His presence amongst His children, so that they might demonstrate who this God is to the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessed Holy Spirit. As we look forward to the day of Pentecost, the celebration of that great event, Lord, help us to be able to privatize that for now. Has the Holy Spirit been poured out in my life? Do I see fruit of the Spirit or fruit of the flesh? Am I growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus? Do I have my eyes fixed on Him or something or someone else? Lord, I pray that if there's one or more here today that have never known You, never had You disclosed to them that Your Spirit would open their eyes even this very moment. And that, Lord, you would invade their hearts with the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, for the rest of us, help us. Help us to press in, to remain in you, to abide in you, that we might see more and more the majesty of all that you have prepared for those who love you in the operations of the Spirit of God in our lives. Lord, may it be so in our church as well. Stir us up. Revive us. And enable us to live for you and to glorify your holy name throughout our lives. We pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, confidently. Amen.